0: Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example.
1: That is the history of the journey of America. The
0: midterms have landed. According to Joe Biden, the giant red wave didn't happen. Here to walk us through the biggest results, takeaways and unfinished business is, of course, Marion McKeown at the Sunday Business Post. Marion, some people call these midterm elections a referendum on President Biden. Others said it was a referendum on Donald Trump. Either well- way... <laughs> we have a very different world that we're looking out on today.
1: Do you know, Jarlath? I feel this enormous relief, and I think it's shared not just by Democrats I've been talking to, but by sane Republicans, by non-MAGA Republicans, that America has literally stepped back from the brink, that it was going down the road of a competitive autocracy, that an authoritarian state and you know, that it was poised to become a sort of a Victor Orban Mark II in 2024, and that then, you know, people were taken right to the brink. Understandable frustration over inflation and over high prices and other things, but they were taken to the brink and then they had a look over the abyss and they saw what was potentially ahead if they elected all of these, not so much at national level, the election deniers and the people in the Senate and and in the House of Congress. But at the state level, if they elected these swing state people who were running for the key jobs at state level, who had promised if they were elected, they would fix the 2024 elections for Trump. That was what they ran on. And that was the big fear that those people would be elected. And I think that Americans did at the last sort of fence, I mean, mean, I've no fingernails left, but where they just went, oh God, you know, And at almost what the Republicans or the Democrats were saying all along, if you think we're bad, try the other crowd. And Mm -hmm. I think that was what they actually thought at the very end. Okay, this lot, we mightn't love everything they're doing, but they do favor democracy.
0: Mm. Let me ask you, though, this is now the resounding view across the press and any media outlet that the red wave didn't happen, Um, America reached a fork in the road, and chose the saner path. But is that really true? Break down the results as to why it leads us to that conclusion.
1: Right. You know, I think, I mean, to to borrow a line from Prince, I think it was more of a purple rain or a purple drizzle than a red wave. I really do, because I think that what happened, American politics, you can discard safely 40 states in America. It's not going to make a blind bit of difference when it comes to elections, when it comes to electing a president or when it comes to really controlling America. America's fate is decided every four years and indeed every two years now, as we've seen, by a handful of swing states. Those states, uh, Georgia has become a swing state. Arizona was always slightly swingy, slightly put its foot in the swingy water and took it out again. But by Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, they were the, and then a couple of other states, Ohio has kind of gone Republican, but these are the states, as I said, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, I know I'm missing one here that I have, and then Georgia, Arizona. This is where elections are fought and won, and this is where the battle for democracy was fought, and I think we can safely say at this stage, narrowly won at the midterms. And you know there are other states as well, like Colorado, which has now gone increasingly blue, but States that were considered swing states before, like Florida. Florida is deep red now. It's not a swing state. Hmm. Uh, Likewise, Colorado is now a blue state. It it elects a couple of red crazies every so often, like Lauren Bobart, who now looks like she's losing her seat, to keep the Democrats on their toes, I think. But it's largely a blue state now. Nevada is a blue state, by and large. Now, it, it, it always had a very strong Democratic team there, going back to the Harry Reid days. But it's a blue state that has... Sort of red breakouts every now and again. And it, it has, it's one of those states where it, it has some very crazy people. I find this about desert states. I've got to tell you that the desert states of Utah, Arizona, and Nevada are really home to some very, very eccentric people. And there's a logic to that because people who go and live in the desert, now I'm not talking about big towns like Phoenix or Las Vegas, but people who go and live out in the boonies in the desert in the middle of nowhere they're kind of wanting to get them. They go off the grid in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. And there's a reason they choose that lifestyle. And they tend to be sort of libertarian, but they will go Republican. And they would have a lot of truck with, you know, the the Donald Trump MAGA sort of Mm -hmm. model. They would, that populism, they would support it very much. So I I think that they were the states that we were all really nervous about. Now, we're not out of the woods. Nevada, i Think We get into a rundown of the states and what's going on, but I, th- I think Nevada might be okay. I think Arizona is going to do the right thing as regards the Senate, certainly, and as regards a couple of other positions. But I think overall, we're at a situation where we're talking now where it very much looks, and in a way you have to almost laugh, because if, if didn't, you didn't, you would cry, $10 billion were spent on campaign ads by both sides, $10 billion uh, oh for God. these midterms. And now, what are they going to get for that $10 billion? It looks like the Senate is going to remain in Democratic control, one way or the other. That it might actually end up in exactly the same position as it was, which is to say 50 seats for each, with Kamala Harris keeping the deciding vote. Or the Democrats may have even picked up one seat. So it may now be 51-49, and good luck to you, Joe Manchin. I'm sure a lot of Democrats will be saying, we don't have to cozy up to you anymore. And then with the House, now the House is still wide open. There is a chance that the Democrats could keep control of the House as we speak. We won't know that until early next week. I think it's more likely that the Republicans will take control of it by a very, very narrow majority, somewhere between five and 10 seats. And, you know, that's what we've kind of been saying here all along, that the Democrats will probably keep the Senate and the Republicans will probably take the House by a narrow majority. And I think that that is because one of the things that I found disconcerting about this, and not to sound like Carrie Lake and to be bashing journalists, but there was a weird narrative in America for the last months now where journalists were all saying, and I have to say it was journalists in Washington, were all saying, oh, all the Democrats and Joe Biden are talking about is the threat to democracy and abortion and, you know, people are really worried about the cost of gas. Now, both of those things can be true simultaneously. It is true that, and as we've said before on this show, John, that Joe Biden gave the overarching pitch, basically, because he wasn't on the stump. He wasn't in the nitty gritty. He wasn't sitting around kitchen tables with families and talking about what was affecting them, because that's the job of the local candidates who are running on the ground So Joe Biden was highlighting the big themes, if you will, which was the loss of women's rights, Roe v. Wade, the threat to democracy, January 6th, all that kind of stuff. But on the ground, uh, with every election, that campaign that I covered, on the ground, the candidates were all talking about what the Democrats were doing to make life better. They were all talking about health care. They were all talking about how they negotiated Medicare for cheaper drugs. They were talking about student loans. They were talking about the CHIPS Act, which was going to bring jobs that paid $100,000 or more to areas that really needed well-paying jobs. They were talking about how the unions are being revived. You know, they were saying, look, we can't fix inflation. Nobody can fix inflation because it's a global problem. But what we can do is do things to try and make your life better and to bring down the cost of other areas. And none of this was being reported by the national media, who were all saying, oh, Democrats aren't engaged. And, yeah. and I think that, that that was the big problem. And I think, you know, we that's had amazing, that though. briefly that I was saying that's not what I'm hearing on the ground. I'm hearing people talking yes. about all these issues. I'm not hearing them talking about the threat to democracy. That's kind of Joe Biden's gig. He's the president of the whole country. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 but, yeah. but
1: when it came to the local races, uh, the Democrats that I followed were really plugged into what was happening locally and what local people were concerned about. And I think that, you know, and Michigan to me is, we had two states, I think, that performed really, really well, one for the Republicans, one for the Democrats. To me, Michigan and that woman from Michigan, as, as Trump used to call her, as in Gretchen Whitmer, ran a model campaign, not just her, but her attorney general, her secretary of state, all of her executive. And really what they said the whole way through was, look, you can vote for Republicans, but that's not going to bring down inflation. It also means that you're not going to get your abortion rights back, and it also means that you're not going to get a whole bunch of other things to do with healthcare and education and a whole bunch of other things that you need. Because if you vote for Republicans, guess what they're going to do to bring down inflation? They're going to cut your Medicaid and they're going to cut your Social Security. and And... And they really framed it that way. And they were kind of saying, so you know what, go knock yourself out if if you want to lodge a protest vote about the cost of things, but it's not going to help you. It's actually going to harm you. And I think if you look at what happened in Michigan, where Gretchen Whitmer, who remember was the governor who was the subject of a kidnap plot, um, and in which she could very easily have been killed, have been murdered, because part of that plot was that if she resists, or indeed, if we find her guilty at the kangaroo court that we're going to hold out of state in Wisconsin, well, then, well, we're going to kill her, obviously. That was the plot. And Thankfully, men have been sentenced, the people in that have been sentenced to long prison sentences now as a result. But this is a woman whose life was in really serious danger, who Trump targeted for particular ire during the COVID because she did what she thought was best for her state and she wouldn't be bullied by him not in an antagonistic way, but in a very firm, very low-key, very competent way, she stood up to Trump. And of course, as a result, it was that that triggered the storming of the Michigan state Capitol by all those thugs with machine guns in their army gear. And it was that that triggered the kidnap plot. And she stood firm. And by God, has she been vindicated? Because as I say, she also has this in some ways, Michigan is light years ahead of the progressive states like California. And it's a totally bipolar state because it's got, it's got the, woods, the, the backwoods people and it's got the MAGA fanatics. But it's also got an executive where there are three women. The Attorney General is also a woman and the Secretary of State is also a woman. All three were returned to power with really strong victories. And also the state legislature has now gone Democrat. So she has returned basically a royal flush for the Democrats by being steady, by not being flashy, by basically being a professional politician. And I think what the Republicans did, and in particular Trump, they brought in people like Tudor Dixon to run against Gretchen Whitmer. Tudor Dixon was a TV personality. She was a former actress, you know. She's a Trumpy kind of guy. She could have been on The Apprentice. And Mm. these were the people that he was bringing in, like Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker, all these people who have name brands that have nothing to do with politics. But because he thinks that A, they're malleable, B, people like them because they're famous and successful, and C, because they know nothing about politics, they can be counted on to pull the lever any way they're told every time. You know, that they're basically just yeah. um, trained robots. Yeah, uh, as
0: we discussed, yeah. and it, it just, it's yeah. stunning to hear you discuss it now and how the shift in view that that was previously a good thing, that you need outsiders. That yeah. was whole playbook. It was like, you don't you don't want the establishment in there. Is, it a, is there a sense that Americans have started this week or through these midterms argued for, actually, no, we need a steady, experienced hands on the wheel rather than complete noobs who don't know what they're talking about.
1: It's the only conclusion you can draw if you look at the results. Like Another one that we spoke about Arizona in, in, in a feral length last week, and Arizona, as we speak at the moment, okay, I spent a lot of time covering the Carrie Lake campaign, because of course, Carrie Lake is is a big news thing in Republican politics, and Donald Trump would certainly have picked and, her, and may still do, who knows, as his running mate, That was almost a given in every Republican circle, certainly every MAGA circle that I spoke to. And she is a very accomplished performer, another TV personality, a former journalist, a Fox News anchor, but an absolute right, far right of field lunatic on so many levels. And I can honestly say that. Having just heard the stuff that came out of her mouth in that beautifully poised, modulated newsreader's voice, where it takes you a couple of seconds to register because the tones are so soothing. Did she just say that? Exactly. Well, now, when I was in Arizona, try as I did, I could not find Katie Hobbes, who is the Democrat who was running against Carrie Lake anywhere. She wasn't doing any events. And I thought, look, this is a pretty lousy candidate for the Democrats, actually. Um, she's not doing events. She has no profile. She refused to debate Carrie Lake because she said it would be a circus. And of course, Carrie Lake made huge hay of that saying, oh, she's scared of me. She's scared of me. She has. She can't defend her positions. And Katie Hobbs, is she's a really um, strong woman who has done enormous public service. She was the Secretary of State and she held the line and didn't get credit for it in Arizona when everything went off the rails in 2020, when lunatics from MAGA were descending in Phoenix and staging protests outside polling centres and all that, she, as the election official, faced them all down. Now, she did have some help from guys like Rusty Bowers who was the Republican head of the legislature back then, and he basically sacrificed his seat to keep democracy on the rails in Arizona, but he could not have done it without her. Now, she's a woman who is a terrible campaigner. And Barack Obama, when he did the event, a couple of events, and one of them was at high school in Phoenix, and he basically said, look, Katie Hobbs, she's not flashy. She's not, you know, he more or less said she's not very exciting, <laughs> but but she's, she's what you want in office. Mm. You don't need a half-crazed celebrity. Yeah. And Katie Hobbs turned up at that event and she spoke for probably 10 minutes. And oh my God, you could feel the energy drain out of the room. Part of it was because they were all there to see Obama and everyone I spoke to said, oh, we're just here to see Obama, and they could care less if Katie Hobbs appeared or not. But then they do recognize her as a public servant who, before she was Secretary of State and and went into politics, ran the biggest women's shelter in Arizona for domestic violence, which made a lot of men in Arizona hate her, let me tell you, because some of the MAGA guys who who spoke about her did it in the most chilling terms. And Before that, she was a social worker. She came from a very poor family and worked her way up, but always in that way of that she had managed to succeed and now she wanted to basically help her community. And, you know, you don't get a more laudable, that's how. That's what you want from your politicians and your public servants, that they're in it for the right reasons. Mm. And so at the moment, as we speak, she and Carrie Lake are neck and neck. Now, the the belief was, frankly, and I kind of thought as well, just because Katie Hobbs was invisible and you can't be invisible. On the campaign trail, really in 2022, and that Carrie Lake, would, who was so omnipresent everywhere, she was doing four events a day. That that I thought, and as well with all the media she was getting, that she would probably transfer. But it looks like Katie Hobbs still might beat what? Carrie Lake, which would be the ultimate, <sighs> oh, the ultimate repudiation oh my-
0: of Trump. This should be the gin and tonic episode. This is too good. <laughs> this is insane. Um,
1: as I say, with all the, the with all the fuss and the drama around Carrie Lake, and as I said, the fact that try as I wanted to, I couldn't find a Katie Hobbs event cover because she didn't do them. You know, wow. she she just she decided she was removing herself from the circus, and she had a website, and she had people who were kind of doing the door to door and the phone bank and that kind of thing. But it actually seems that maybe at least half of Arizona are close to, at this stage, had a look at Hobbes, as Obama said, not flashy, to put it mildly, had a look at Carrie Lake and said, you know, we might take the non-crazy one. Wow, wow, they went for the Volvo.
0: They had the opportunity to get the, I think you'd have to describe her as a Mazda sports car, or what would be the equivalent over there? Oh, God. A, A Corvette? Is the kind of trashy sports car?
1: I'm going to say a clown car. I'm going to say I'm going to say a Corvette. <laughs> a that was that was fashioned into a clown car. But but all
0: jokes aside, Marion, that would be a nail of some sort. You mentioned oh, yeah. the ten billion that gets spent on yeah. the campaign, but you know a heavy loss like this at the midterms. Is so unheard of. Obama lost sixty-three seats, Bill Clinton yeah. lost fifty-two, Trump himself lost forty. He lost
1: 40. Nobody yeah. talks about that, but Donald Trump lost forty seats in the midterm. And, he was trounced yeah, in the midterms.
0: Exactly. And when when you suddenly have this in front of you, it's just so interesting to watch this play out because suddenly you realize that the Republicans are just a, a group that were riding a horse that was winning races or, well, this is the other thing that he doesn't actually have a great reputation she for hasn't won winning any races. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but they, but it's all hinging upon his popularity. The second it's that dips, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's almost, it's so weird, as you say, this precipice that we're nearly over the hump to an extent that even the conscious thought of would this we give rise to a separate trump party yeah. suddenly a trump political party holds the same amount of water as a trump degree or stake <laughs> you know like i'm laughing because it's like that that would be so crap it would be hold so or carry so little sway because we'd actually see what the value of the trump name is in isolation from the republican party
1: But it goes to show, Jarlett, and this is the thing that astonishes me, because let's go back to 2015. Now, Trump won. He was the legitimate president. He won Mm -hmm. according to the rules, but Hillary Clinton won three million more votes than Donald Mm -hmm. Trump. So he never won the popular vote. He was elected president because of this ancient, absolutely obsolete artifice of an electoral college. But they were the rules and he played by them and he won by them. Okay, so he wins that election. His approval rating never gets above water, never for one day the whole time he was president. Um, And then it comes to 2020. He doesn't just lose the White House. He also drags down the Senate and the House of Congress. So here we go. He has lost certainly the popular vote and and the Electoral College vote in 2020 in four consecutive races. Then it comes to the midterms. And only one of Trump's candidates so far. Now, things may change. There are a couple of votes to come in yet, but only one Trump-backed candidate who Trump didn't even like, J.D. Vance up in Ohio, is the only one that won out of all of the Trump candidates. And a very interesting thing happened in Ohio because J.D. Vance was running against a Democrat called Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan is one of those big, solid block of a guys. You know what I mean? Like He just looks like Mr. Dad, and he's a very moderate Democrat. But the strange thing he did, and I remember thinking, this is, this is a bit off. He basically ran ads pretending to be a Republican, okay? He basically ran ads saying, I agree with Trump, dot, dot, dot. And then it would be that, you know, X, Y, and Z, What one thing Trump may have done. And he really kept his distance from Biden and really let people know that he wasn't a fan of Biden's and he wasn't thanked for it. Because I think a lot of Democrats then felt, Meh, Ohio is a red state anyway, but I think Democrats kind of felt, well, screw you. You know, if you <laughs> stop trying to be a Republican. But he was beaten pretty decisively by J.D. Vance because he was trying to do that thing of ride two horses. He was trying to appeal much more to Republicans than he was mm. to Democrats. And so to me, that was interesting because you had um, Fetterman, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania who still hasn't fully recovered from that massive stroke he had, which he now admits almost killed, back in in May, June this year. And he was running against Dr. Rawls, again, this celebrity, this guy who knows nothing about politics, but who could be relied on because he knows nothing about politics to pull the lever according to instructions every time. You know, and that's really what the Republicans seem to have wanted just a bunch of empty suits who would go along with the tribe, would put on the red jersey and do whatever the hell they were told. And yeah. so, uh, you know, and Fetterman trounces Yeah. And it was actually very moving to see. And we've spoken about Fetterman before in this, with the, all six foot eight or nine of them with the big tattoos and the shaped head. And, and Fetterman to me, and I know I'm repeating myself, is the new Bernie Sanders because that guy has a charisma. And that guy is going to go places in the Democratic Party where he can. He will be relied upon to keep young people engaged. To keep, I think he's got enormous value to the Democratic Party, and I think he'll have it as a senator and on a national stage. I think that was a great win for the Democrats, apart from the fact that that was a Republican seat. So they flipped that seat because the, uh, Rob Portman was a Republican, the guy who retired. And so they ended up with an extra seat in their column, which now means that they could actually afford to lose Nevada if that happens, if the crazy Republican guy Adam Laxalt beats the Democrat there. But they would still have a 50-50 with Kamala Harris still having the majority. So they're kind of home and dry. I really think we saw what happened in Georgia, that um, neither Raphael Warnock is ahead by about 20,000 votes than the Democrat, um, but Herschel Walker has is he, a pretty close second. He's half a percent behind him. But neither guy got 50%. So there has to be a runoff on December 6th. Now, my sense is that if Democrats keep control of the Senate uh, without that race, like if they, if they win Nevada and win Arizona, then they've got control anyway. And I really think that Republicans will not turn out in droves to support Herschel Walker on December 6th. Mm. I, re- I think that they're going to go, well, it's moot, because the reason they were voting for him was that they thought that this could flip the Senate Republican. We could take the Senate if we vote for this guy. And the other thing that really helped Herschel Walker, who to say he's unimpressed as a candidate is really to understate the whole thing. But Brian Kemp, who, who pretty well trans Stacey Abrams, dragged him as far as he got on his coattails. because Brian Kemp, Brian And this is another guy, which is very interesting, Charlotte, because Brian Kemp, you may remember, and Brad Raffensperger were the the governor and the attorney general in 2020. Both Republicans, both big Trump supporters. But for them, it was just a bridge too far to subvert the election outcome. They wouldn't do it, even though Trump lent on them and lent on them. And we know that famous phone yep. call he had with Brad Raffensperger where he said, oh, if you can just find me 11,780 votes, you know, and and basically just find them, make them up. Mm. And Raffensperger refused. And Brian Kemp did all the right things. He said, okay, you know what? We will have the recounts. We'll do three recounts. We'll do But, you know, but at the end of the day, this is the tally. We've done everything and we've checked all the boxes. But guess what? Joe Biden won. Now suck it up. And after that, Trump... Hated him, and he ran. He ran another guy, David Perdue, in the primary against him for governor to try and knock him out, to try and do a Liz Cheney on him, basically. But he won, and now he has won and been vindicated. But he won despite the fact that he's regarded as a rhino by all of the Trump guys, all the MAGA. But he still won resoundingly in Georgia. So it kind of shows you don't have to be a Trump sucker. You don't have to do Trump's bidding. You don't have to behave like Lindsey Graham you know, to retain power that you can actually, and he I mean, these guys are hardline Republicans. There's nothing sort of moderate or centrist about them, but they refuse to break the law for Trump. And they have both won handsomely in, in these well, elections as a result. Now, I feel really bad for Stacey Abrams because Stacey Abrams handed Georgia to Joe Biden in 2020. She basically turned that state for Biden. She worked tirelessly. She, But for Stacey Abrams, there would not be two Democratic senators for Georgia currently in the Senate. That was down to her as well and her formidable get out the vote, register voters, make sure they get to the polls. And um, so she is really owed a lot by the Democratic Party. And this time round was extraordinary because I was in Georgia and there was in she ran in twenty eighteen against, against Kemp. She came within about 50,000 votes of beating him, which was extraordinary to have a black female governor in Georgia of all states, the redest mm. of red states. And this time around, she was beaten by a far bigger margin. And it seems that this time around that black men didn't vote for her. And now, I still don't understand that black men voted for Brian Kemp against her. Maybe she was too formidable, too powerful. I don't know. But also what I heard, and I think I said this to you before, from so many white people I spoke to who were classified themselves as moderate Republicans, and even some Democrats, they said, well, she's too Atlanta-focused. Now, that's just code for she's too black, yeah. basically. That's what they were saying, that they weren't going to vote for a black woman to be governor of Georgia. And you know, And to me, it's really sad and frustrating that for such a brilliant woman, she was held back again by basically your good old-fashioned misogyny and your good old-fashioned racism. And and because she is a formidable talent.
0: We need to talk about the other reasons for all of this happening, including abortion, Paul yep. Pelosi's assault. Yep. And we need to talk about good old Ronnie D, down I in guess. Florida. Ronnie <laughs> yeah. DeSantis and his big win for wokeism. That's all coming in the second half of my conversation with Marion over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. You got a bonus episode this week for the Irishman running abroad if you're already signed up over there, where we talked to Vinnie Mulvey, one of the top physical therapists in the country, because I am, of course, still injured. We're still trying to puzzle out what the hell is wrong. Uh, But Vinnie Mulvey gave a great chat and told us about his life as a runner going to Iona University over where Marion is and it's just one of the most fun chats I've had and we are getting closer so if you are injured right now you need to get the injury episode into your ears and the only way to hear it is of course over on patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad but the full chat with myself and Marion the midterm special continues over there come on over and join us
1: ready you have the cameras rolling this is a miracle a lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years you
0: encourage